Hey, welcome back to the program. That music means one thing and one thing only. Greg Wyshynski is standing by trying to get him connected here. I don't know whether we're going to just start off with the goofy stuff with Greg or uh, start with the uh, serious furrowed brow stuff about game one between John Cooper's Tampa Bay Lightning uh, facing off against Jared Bednar and the Colorado Avalanche. We'll probably do a combination of both. But one of the things I want to get into uh, with Wish, oh, we'll start off right now as he joins us. Hello, Wish. Welcome back to the program. Hello. I'm sorry I had to do this over the phone. The uh, They apparently have a firewall uh, separating you and I over the uh, usual means of communication. I know. I, I, I'm the, as surprised as you are. but uh, The the spectacular you know, Opal, Opal app doesn't work? Not, not, on, not on the uh, Wi-Fi here at uh, Ball Arena. You know, they do have to protect uh, the state secrets they have here within the arena, such as <laughs> who the starting goaltender will be for the Colorado Avalanche. Can't can't del- allow that information to slip out of these uh, mm. these hallowed walls. Yeah, yes. Braden Point will be playing tonight for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So before you came on, I was wondering, you know, do we go in with the goofy stuff first, or do we start with the uh, the serious hockey talk? And let's go goofy, Greg. So <clears throat> one of the things, can I put you on the spot here to start? One of the things that Maddie and I, our, our producer Matt Marchese, were throwing around yesterday. Um, was if you go through the various eras, you and I have sorted the things like this on the old podcast. If you go through the various eras of hockey and you look through the filter of social media, you know, there's a lot of lost opportunity. Like there are a lot of people that really needed a, a bigger megaphone but didn't have one. And now through social media, all athletes do. Um, and I was going through, you know, my ideas for who would have been the, the, the best player who never had Twitter to have Twitter. Uh, mine was Gump Worsley. That'll come as no surprise to you. <laughs> what what would yours What would yours be? Wish if there was one player, you know, go twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago, whenever, one player in hockey history who you wish had a Twitter account. Who would that have been? That's the that's the easiest answer. Uh, it's it's actually the answer to two different questions for me. Uh, the first one is: Should you ever meet meet your idols? Uh, the answer is no. You should never meet your idols. No, but the answer to this question, the answer to this question is the same answer to that question, which is Jeremy Roenick. I mean, without question, like <laughs> the idea of Roenick having a social media megaphone, uh, being in the heat of a playoff series against another team, uh, yeah, and and having well, that platform, you know, pro- protesting things happening within the league. I mean, my God, like the idea that 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 he, first of all, like not only just having the wherewithal to, to use that platform for that kind of thing, but also just knowing, and, and I think Ronick inherently would know this, how to leverage it and, and how to, uh, you know, leave breadcrumbs for people and get people excited about the, the next thing he's going to tweet. I think he would have been a master at it. Uh, it's just a shame that uh, he and I don't really see eye to eye on a lot of is that, things, is that, including, is that... including what you and I accomplished with John Scott in the All-Star Game, if memory serves. He was not a big fan. Uh, not a big fan of our vibe. <laughs> I <guess> I <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's all giggles. It's all hockey. It's uh, it's uh, it, it, it's all good. Okay, well, maybe dovetailing that then. Uh, maybe the obvious answer for a lot of people might just be Patrick Maroon, who's looking for his fourth Stanley Cup in a row here uh, with two different teams, St. Louis and Tampa. Who's the most interesting player? Tampa and Colorado, who intrigues you the most on either side? On the Tampa side, I think it's Stamkos. Um, I, I think he's had an incredible playoff. Uh, I, I, I was talking to somebody here at Media Day yesterday who was marveling at the fact that Stammer has really found a way to uh, 
uh, elevate his defensive game, make the little plays, doing the little sacrificial things that maybe four years ago he wasn't doing. Uh, as someone who has covered the, the Lightning during the John Cooper era uh, pretty thoroughly, the fact that he's been healthy, knock on wood, has been remarkable too throughout this entire run. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's a heart and soul player, and when he's going, he's one of the best we've seen in the last 25 years. And so, like, I'm really intrigued to see what he ends up doing in this final because he's just playing so well. And on, on the Avalanche side, I mean, I'll just, I'll just take the chalk. I mean, um, Nathan McKinnon is not only the most compelling player, I think, on the ice in this series based on his play in, in these first three rounds. I mean, 11 goals in, in 14 games is insane. That's an insane pace for any player. Um, but, like, the idea that a, a person who, is, who has embodied the psychotic uh, pursuit of success <laughs> behind the scenes for the entirety of his career in Colorado, finally yeah. willing a team to their championship. I mean, for those who don't know, like, there's a culture of fear that exists when you're on Nathan McKinnon's team. In the sense of, like, if you are not practicing hard enough for him, if you are not doing the details hard enough for him, if you are not conducting yourself in the way in which he believes you should be conducted, he will say something. And he's a very intense gentleman. So um, the validation of all of that, I mean, maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing at the end of the day, I don't know. But the validation of all that, on top of obviously breaking through and and joining the elite group of of his uh, superstar tier that have... Stanley Cup rings would be a really amazing thing to see. You, you know who else is like that? Although maybe not as vocal, um, but I mean the 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 example is is obvious and not lost on anyone in the organization is Sidney Crosby. I can remember. Did I ever totally. tell you what, what, did I ever tell you what uh, Colby Armstrong told me about the first day he walked into the Penguins' weight room after a practice? So Colby no. tells me you know, he just gets called up from Wilkes-Barre, right? And he's playing his first game, or they're having their first practice. Can't remember what it is. And he goes into the weight room after, and Sid is like lifting big, like big weights, just pounding it. I mean, he's he's a, he's he's dripping in sweat. Like he's obviously he sets a work rate that everybody is embarrassed not to fall. You have to like when Sid's doing that, everybody else has to as well. And Colby said he's like he's like blown away that this guy's you know like the best player in the game, best player in the league, but you know destined for the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he's working like this. Colby says he goes over to Sid. He goes, "Hey, like, what are you doing, man? Is there like a league above the NHL that I don't know about? Like, where, where, where's, where's this coming from? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, is there another league that I don't know about that you're trying to get to?" Um, Crosby's, Crosby's the same way. Like Crosby and McKinnon, yeah. they don't just share, you know, Tim Hortons commercials together. Like in a lot of ways, you know, it's funny too because. At the uh, at the NHL Players Tour in Chicago this year, when we talked to him for the podcast, he was, you know, he he stopped us and said, like, look, I've done nothing, I haven't achieved anything. Look what Sid has done. He started, you know, going over all the individual trophies, the team trophies, like all of all the championships. And Sidney's won. He goes, look, I've done zero. I haven't accomplished a single thing. And this is finally his chance to get in the conversation with, you know, someone that he can't help but think he completely idolizes, and that's Sidney Crosby. You know what's amazing about that? You know, I remember him saying that after the playoffs last year, too. And, he, you know, he used an expletive to describe how much he's accomplished in this league. And I remember, like, people <laughs> were like, wow, being being taken aback by, by his honesty. 
dude hasn't made didn't make it past the second round until this season. Like it was yeah. obvious he hadn't accomplished anything. Like he, he he was in that same place that Ovechkin was in for a really long time, as far as like just the inability to to break through with playoff success. And you know that's that's what makes this look at this. We did, we haven't talked about we haven't talked to you and I since this series was was cemented, and like. I'm in awe of, of how great it is. I'm in awe of how even even uh, evenly matched these teams are. I'm in awe of um, the fact that you have the best offensive team, I think, since the 87-88 Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs, going up against just defensive assassins. And then conversely, a great offensive team in, in Tampa going up against a pretty underrated uh, Colorado defensive team that plays really well, except they're not getting saves. And then narratively, I don't think there's been another final that, that matches – how compelling the action is on the ice with how compelling it is off the ice where you have a three-peat potentially or a team in Colorado that's been bubbling under the surface and uh, and trying to break through. And in many ways, Merrick is sort of like the, you know, useful ward to uh, the Lightning's Batman. I mean, <laughs> right? Like, like, like a team that didn't, a team that, that struggled to, to, to figure out the playoffs has had disappointments, is learning from them, didn't blow up the core, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Like outside of the, the difference in goal, there's kind of a mirror image thing happening with these franchises too. You know, it's interesting too, because um, one of the things that we've been pointing out is there's no Cinderella team in this year, like Montreal, Cinderella, Dallas, yeah. in the bubble. Yeah. Like there's no Cinderella, there's no Cinderella here. Like these are two powerhouses. I was talking to uh, JD Bunkus on the, the fan Five Ninety morning show the other day. And we sort of arrived at the same conclusion. How can we get more of this in the NHL on a consistent basis? And as much as we talk about adding teams to the playoffs, isn't the excitement around these two teams, you know, sort of winking at the idea that there shouldn't be more teams in the playoffs? There might actually need to be less if you want to try to guarantee that the two top teams face off against each other in the final. Well, it really all it really all depends on how you view the playoffs as a as a utility for attracting fans to the NHL. Like you could make the argument that the best way to attract fans to the NHL is to have the best final possible. And and you know, some years you're going to get it, and some years you aren't because of injuries or goaltenders or what have you. This time we just so happen to get it, and and I would put this final up against anything that's on the sports calendar right now, as far as like compelling matchup and, and everything else. But for me, it's always been the best thing about ho- the National Hockey League is the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you have 32 teams in this league now. The idea that, that half of them don't get to participate in, in the best thing of the game is insane to me. And, and I don't think there's any, any harm in expanding the playoffs in a, in a manner in which you still protect your top seeds. That's really the thing, right? Is like you don't want the good teams to be penalized for having a great regular season by having to do things in the playoffs. They don't, they, they shouldn't have to do. And I think that there are definitely ways such as through a play in round that you can protect those top seats. But here's the other part about this matchup though, Merrick, that I think warrants, you know, commentary, which is these are the two best teams in the playoffs. One of these teams has not had home ice advantage in three rounds. So yep. it is by the, the, the usual path and by the, the numbers and everything else, kind of miraculous that we ended up where we are just trying to think of ways to gimmick it up so you get powerhouses in the final how about this one i'm just going to say this just to see your reaction is everyone's going to scream listening to this either you know on their on their on their phone or on the radio (laughs) all Uh, right how about this then to encourage the uh the stronger teams to go deeper uh the favored team by way of standings only has to win three games the other team has to win four that's kind of, that's a, I don't hate it. Uh, I don't hate it for the, maybe the, 
No, I, I, I don't. I don't because <laughs> I think I think protecting your top seed. Look, like there's 82 regular season something. games. Make it mean. Make something. it mean something. And and and, and, and the, the argument against playoff expansion is always devaluing the regular season. Devaluing the regular season. Oh my God, the regular season. Such a precious little flower we have to protect. So if you do that, then that nullifies the argument about protecting the regular season sanctity. And so I'm for it. I'm for anything that we're, where we can expand the playoff party, invite more teams, get more cities involved, get more people excited about the postseason, um, while also ensuring that if you are the, the, the Colorado Avalanche and you've done what you've done in the regular season, that it doesn't get thrown out the, the window because of like one injury in the first round or some such. So I think your idea it has merit. I mean, it's not the worst idea I've ever heard. As long as you're only doing it for the first round, I think beyond that, then it gets kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about doing that in the Stanley Cup final. I just thought I'd throw it out there. As right, a exactly. Right, yeah, I, thought, yeah, yeah. I thought you're gonna, I thought you're gonna flat tire that one. <laughs> what are you thinking about, Merrick? Not a chance. But okay, it's found some. It found a little bit of a home with you there. At least it got in the front door with you there. Yeah, there. I don't think no, you're. I don't I'm, think I'm, you're. I don't think you're, I don't think you're inviting the idea in for coffee. But at least it got into the got into the front vestibule well, here with you a little bit. But it, it's. It's all about maximizing the interest in the playoffs. Let me hit you with this format. Ready? Okay. You start with the Leafs in the Stanley Cup final, and then everyone else is playing to try to play the Leafs. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that get a lot of interest? You uh, you just made my bosses very very happy. You just made, actually, you just made a, you just, the, the 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 sports economy in Canada in general. Uh, whether let's, it's uh, us here, whether it's the uh, the evil telecom, whether it's any other sports entity, you just made them all very happy. Look, the, the, every playoff format is fake. Like, we could just make up stuff, right? The NHL has made up stuff numerous times insofar Thank as, you. hell, the Thank Tampa Bay Lightning, are, try- yes. the Tampa Bay Lightning are, trying to, are trying to win a third straight Stanley Cup in three different ways. This is, like, better than Mario's five-goal game. It's, like, it's like the, the biggest anomaly <laughs> we've ever seen in the playoffs. So how about this? How about, I don't know if we, if we could put this in the NHL charter or not. In All 2067, right. in 2067, if the Leafs oh, still have one, yeah, we start them in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> <laughs> and they only have to play half the regular season to make sure that everyone is healthy. <laughs> right, exactly. Just, it's 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 the it's the century it's the century rule. It's 2067. If they still have one, then you start you them in the Stanley one. Cup final. Guaranteed one shot at the cup every hundred years. Don't worry. hundred ninety-nine <laughs> years of futility. Don't worry. It pays off in year one hundred. Exactly. Um, yep. But yep. but before, and I'm going to try to squeeze in as much as we can here in the few minutes. Um, so I asked Elliot about this at the uh, the the top of the show, and I'll I'll ask you the same thing. My favorite Stanley Cup final ever was Philadelphia Edmonton. Uh, for a couple of Ooh. reasons. One, the hockey the hockey was great, and in that game six. Philadelphia goes down 2 nothing in the first period to Edmonton. They're looking to close out and win the Cup at the Spectrum. Um, uh, Lindsey Carson scores in the second. Uh, Brian Propp scores in the third to tie things up. The Philadelphia crowd is going berserk. And when J.J. Daniel scores with, like, I think it was like three and a half minutes left in the third period, I don't know that I've heard a louder building. Or I don't know that I've seen a louder building ever to force a game seven. Mm. Like JJ Daniel, like not you think of the you know, all those elite defensemen on that team, McCrimmon and Crossman and Marsh and Howe, not those guys. JJ Daniel scores and the place comes <laughs> unglued. Now Edmonton wins in game seven, but the hockey was fantastic. Do you have a favorite Stanley Cup final, Greg Wyshynski? I do, but not because the hockey was fantastic. I mean I don't I can count on one hand 
the number of Stanley Cup finals that went the distance, because I do think that that's sort of like you need that to have your favorite Stanley Cup final, that also had outstanding hockey throughout the whole series. Like a lot of them don't, and at least in my lifetime, I wasn't really cognizant of a lot of the 1980s series. So the answer for me is always going to be Boston, Vancouver, um, which felt like World War III. That's what Elliot um, said. That's which, what Elliot said. Too. Yeah, that's what Frege said. I mean, yeah. I think I think that there is an inherent. I'm, I'm sure Elliot was there with me for that series, like in person. So I think there's an inherent bias that we have because the environment for those games was so chaotic, and and the stories that came out of that series were so chaotic, and the personalities in that series. My God, like. Not only like Burroughs and all them, you know, guys on Vancouver, but the the Luongo Thomas, you know, pumping tires thing and everything else. And and again, like you know, it has an inherent advantage over every other Stanley Cup final, and that the losing team tried to burn down their own city at the end of it, which <laughs> hasn't has, has not often town. happened. Yeah, I remember. So I, I, again, I, like, I, 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 the hockey was I, okay, but not great. But the final was incredible. The, uh, the emotions in that series. I can recall getting back to the hotel and texting Michael Landsberg from TSN. And I'm like, where are you? And he said, I'm in a freezer. They're at a restaurant and the cops are on the streets and they hit it with tear gas. And the tear gas started coming in and they didn't want to go back out on the streets because of the riots. And the only place they could all go, like all the patrons in the restaurants, either like, okay, you're going out there to the riots or... We can offer you the freezer with the hanging meat and the milk and all that. So he's standing in a freezer, shivering uh, on his phone. That was probably the most memorable Stanley Cup that I can recall. But as far as, like, quality of play and all of it, loud buildings and uh, 87, the Flyers and the – uh, and the Edmonton Oilers was it for me. Okay, a couple of seconds as we got here with you, because I know you're busy. Uh, I'm a busy guy, too. You've got a game one to get to, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what do you look for in this series? Like, my, many people will look at this and say, like, okay, it's going to come down to, you know, can Kemper hang in the deep water with Andre Vasilevsky? Can Kale McCarr, you know, uh, you know, have the torch passed to him from the big dog, Victor Hedman, uh, to the new Norris Trophy guy? Like, how do you draw the battle lines here? What do you look for in this series? I think the second one is the one you, that I'm most intrigued by. And John Cooper kind of spoke to this this morning as well, which is as we all try to figure out how the um, defensive playoff assassins that are the Tampa Bay Lightning figure out how to stop the, the, the avalanche, the X factor is Makar. The X factor is having a player who can be the fourth forward on the ice at any time and then also be the best forward <laughs> on the ice at any time, <laughs> along with being a great defenseman. Uh, he's an ex. He, he makes he makes game planning against this team so difficult, um, where you are confident that if you throw, say, like an, an Anthony Sorelli, Alex Kalorn, Braden Point line, because I do think if Hagel doesn't play, points can be back on that line. If you throw that line against McKinnon, you're confident you can maybe win that matchup. But then you throw Makar into the mix, and 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 even Taves into the mix too. My God, he's had an incredible offensive uh, of postseason. Um, now that makes the whole thing a lot more difficult, and it's it's really the secret sauce for why the Avalanche are the Avalanche. It's not simply just having amazing, talented offensive forwards. It's having D that activate at the rate that they do and are able to create what they do. And in Makar's case, you know, be one of the top three offensive players in the playoffs. So that's the thing I'm, I'm most looking forward to is how does John Cooper and his admittedly genius coaching staff compensate for the Makar factor? Um, if the Tampa Bay Lightning can do this, where do you put this amongst the uh, the rankings of the great teams that have come before? I mean, again, 
you have to put them up in, 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 in the top, tippy top tier of, of the greatest accomplishments in, in hockey history. I know yep. there's a caveat. I know that we're, we, we had two goofy, weird pandemic seasons, and, and you do have to take that into account. Um, and it does make it a little more complicated. But then they win in an 82-game season in a normal playoff, and that's their third one. Like, that's incredible. It's incredible yeah, to it's... do it in the cap era, it, you know, with their, with their player management. It's incredible to do it when the players are this good and the goalies are this good. All of it is incredible. And if they pull it off against, again, think of the, the, the final boss at the end of this video game that they're facing. Like, the to do it against the Avalanche, would it I be know. insane? Spectacular. Uh, back to work for you. Thanks, Wish. We'll talk to you next week. As always. Thanks, Merrick. There he is. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Ten seconds left in the show. Enough time for me to say game one tonight. Hockey Night in Canada. Enjoy it.